are thinking about the words that we're, we're singing because, I, you know, our, our mission statement here is that we exist for the glory of God and how easy it is for us to make everything about ourselves, everything in our life, and even church, church gatherings themselves. We, we sort of turn them in on ourselves and, and, and think, about, uh, think about it as something related to, to us. But it truly is all for the glory of God. That's why we're here. And, and in fact, it isn't just church, but it's actually every aspect of our life. Every breath that we take ought to be for the glory of God. That's why we exist. So we ought to search our hearts and pray as we enter into worship. I know that I have to do that as a pastor, as a preacher. Uh, it's so easy. It is so easy for me to stand up here and to preach the word thinking about myself and thinking about how people will perceive me in, in all of this. Uh, but we pray this morning that the Lord will be the focus of our hearts and minds, that his word uh, will be our contemplation. So Hebrews chapter 13 we're going to read a couple verses here in, in this chapter. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 7, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And now verse number 17, obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so we, as we look to this text this morning, there are, we notice several times, there's actually one more time that we won't read. Uh, there are several times where uh, the writer of Hebrews addresses the readers that he's sending this letter to and their attitude and response to leaders within the church. That word leaders is used actually three times in this passage in verse 7 and in verse 17 that I read and then also in verse 24 at the very closing. I will go ahead and read that. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. And uh, so there are three times uh, where they, this word leader is used in this final chapter. And uh, there are a couple other times, really, when he talks about their response to him and to his letter, whoever the writer is of the book of Hebrews, how they would receive him. He asks them to pray for them, and he asks them to bear with his uh, exhortation that he's written in this letter. When, when you take all of that together, I think what we get is a little bit of a snapshot of, of a biblical response to faithful leadership a biblical response to faithful leadership in the church. As we just sort of jump into this, I'm, I maybe would ask you the question and ask you to consider as we get started, how do you view leadership? Particularly, we're talking about leadership within the church. Obviously, the leadership within the church, the words that are used other places are pastors or, or elders and so forth. But I think it's safe to say in our day and time that many people have a mistrust of leadership. And, and I think sometimes for, for good reason, uh, sin distorts good gifts, the good gifts of God, does it not? 
Satan is a master at, at distortion. We talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about marriage and sexuality and, and how marriage and sexuality is a good gift from God, but then it's distorted. And, and, and the way that Satan works, he's so manipulative, he, he, he's so deceptive that, that he takes this and he distorts the good gift of marriage and sexuality, but he doesn't just do that. Then, then he circles back and, and, he, and he kind of holds it up and says, look how bad that is. Marriage is bad. It isn't something good. So that, so that people kind of look at it with as though marriage in itself is, is something bad. Look how messed up that is. That's not something that you want, is it? And that's what we're living with, as we talked about when it comes to marriage. We're living in the days and times when, when sin has so, been so abused or, or marriage has been so abused that now many people have the perception of marriage as if it's bad. Well, I think there's a similar um, scenario at, at work when it comes to leadership. Satan has enticed weak and immature and ungodly leaders in the church to compromise, to abuse their power, to yield to temptation, to give in to their fleshly urges, and ultimately to betray the trust of those who are following them. But that's not where, where he ends, is it? He then circles back and, and says to us and tempts us to believe, see, see leadership is not good. You, you can't trust leaders. They will deceive you. They are all hypocrites. They're all abusers. They're all manipulators. This, this isn't something that's good. So, so he distorts a good gift uh, of God, and, and then he tempts us to believe that it's the gift itself that's bad. And there's one more sort of element that's at work in, in this whole transition that, that has transpired, and that is that in the past, people tended to almost blindly follow leaders. There, there was just this sense of leaders are in a place of authority. We do what they say. We trust them. We assume that if it's a pastor or some kind of spiritual leader, he, he's living privately as he preaches publicly. And, and there was just too much assuming that was going on in that. And, and there was a lack of the biblical kind of accountability that every sinful person needs. Pastors need it as well. Pastors were given the kind of unquestioning loyalty that is destructive to any sinner. And the result then is they sinned and they abused their power and they manipulated. And, and, and as a result of that, then so many people have a very cynical view of leadership in, in the church. This morning, we want to consider, though, what is a healthy and a biblical response to leadership in the church. I, I think what we'll see this morning as we look to this text, as always, the, the truth of God's word brings light and clarity that pierces through the darkness and confusion wrought by Satan's schemes. This text, I think, provides some of the much-needed light in a way that pushes back against errors on both sides. There, there are actually probably four or five things that we could draw from this, but we're going to just focus on two this morning, uh, mainly because I couldn't just parse it all down to, uh, to, to fit it all in. So we're going to look at the, these two main uh, responses to faithful biblical leadership. But before we do that, I, I just want to notice something in verse 7. There's something of a definition 
of what a leader is. If, if I were to ask you, what is a leader in the church? Well, what do you think about that? If you were to make up a list, if you were to, to write a job description, I think we could get various things. If I were to ask you, ideally, what should a pastor be? What should a leader be in the church? Perhaps some of you might, might think of the act of preaching. And so just someone who is a skilled order, so, someone who can get your attention, someone who can motivate you and, and so forth. Other people might think about the growth of the church, and so they would want somebody who, who is skilled, at maybe a church growth expert, uh, somebody who can get more people in the pews. Some might say, well, this person should be a theological scholar. This should, should be somebody who's studied, who's well-versed in theology and in the Bible and have that understanding. Others might look for some kind of organizational guru, somebody that can just orchestrate all the ministries of the church in a flawless, seamless kind of way. But when we look to this text, I think he gives us something of a, of a definition here. It's not a full definition, but I think it gets down to the essential, uh, the, the heart of what biblical leadership in the church is all about. Look at verse 7. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So for the writer of Hebrews, if you were to ask him, what is a leader in the church? He would say a leader by definition is the one who speaks the word of God to you. That isn't to say that a pastor shouldn't do other things, but we could say that whatever other organizational or leadership functions a pastor serves, whatever he does in terms of making decisions or casting visions, uh, vision or uh, coming up with programs or strategizing how to grow the church or recruiting volunteers or coming up with budgets, those things are not the essential duties of the job. They may serve a helpful function, but they do not define the main work of leadership in the church. The main work of leadership in the church is to proclaim the word of God. Mark Dever said and, and gave an account of when he was called to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and it's always stuck with me. And as I was preparing, with this, I, preparing this sermon, I thought I would just share this with you. He says, when I was interviewing with Capitol Hill Baptist Church before they called me to be their pastor... Someone asked me if I had a program or a plan to implement for growth. Perhaps this per to this person's surprise and perhaps to yours, I responded that I didn't really have any great plans or programs to implement. I was just armed with four Ps. I would preach, pray, do personal discipling, and be patient. In other words, preach and pray, love and stay. Maybe even more surprising to some, I said that I was happy to see every aspect of my public ministry fail if it needed to, except for the preaching of God's word. Now, that's a bold statement to make, but he goes on to explain. He says, what, now, now what kind of a thing is that for a pastoral candidate to say to a church? What I wanted to get across was that there's only one thing that's biblically necessary for building the church, and that's the preached word of God. You see, that's how God builds his church. That, that's how God brings people to salvation is through the preaching of his word. It isn't finally through programs. It isn't through organization. It isn't through a powerful speaker and order. It isn't through anybody who's got charismatic gifts. It isn't any of those things. It is the preaching of God's word that, that brings sinners to salvation 
and that edifies and sanctifies, that builds up the body of Christ. And anytime leadership in the church shifts away from that as the primary function, as the primary role of what a pastor or a leader does, problematic scenarios arise. So what happens when you have a really gifted organizational leader? I, I wish I was that. I, I wish for your sake and my sake that I was that, but I, I, I'm not. I'm growing, I'm working at it, but, but what happens when someone's just a gifted organizational leader, but he doesn't prioritize faithful preaching of the word of God in the ministries of the church? Well, sometimes the church flourishes in programs, but not in maturity and in sanctification. It, it runs flawlessly, but to what end? It, it's like the joke, uh, I don't know who came up with it first, but Yogi Berra said, you know, one time he was driving, I guess, to the Hall of Fame, it was said, and uh, the, the people were like, you know, we passed that three times. I, I, I think we're lost. And he's like, yeah, but we're making great time. And uh, it kind of misses the point. And, and so it is with a church, a, a church that is run just flawlessly organizationally. Everything's in place, all the right documents, all the right people, all the right all the right committees and, and everything is just like a well-oiled machine. But if it isn't the preaching of the word that's happening, if it isn't the sanctification that the spirit does through the teaching and preaching of the word, then to what end? I, I mean, an organization that runs well is nice to look at. It's, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty. But to what end if it isn't preaching the word of God faithfully? What happens when you have a powerful orator? Someone who can motivate, who can bring you to tears, but he doesn't faithfully expound the word of God. Well, you can attract large crowds of people, but you, you attract them to a personality and not to the truth. Man, that happens so often. There are some very gifted, very eloquent, very powerful speakers that can motivate you. You're ready to go run through a brick wall after listening to them, but if they aren't expounding the word of God, then it, the attraction is to them and not to the Lord. What happens when you have a church growth expert who, who emphasizes strategies for attracting more and more people to the church, but who does not preach the word of God with any kind of depth? Well, you can end up with a megachurch full of unconverted or spiritually immature people who will not grow into the full stature of Christ. And that's happening all over the place, Right? And oftentimes, what we need to understand is, is that some of these people are, it's not that they're false teachers, uh, but, but sometimes they're just not giving the attention to the word that ought to be there. And so they're able to attract great crowds because they've got strategies and, and plans for growing. And probably there's a combination of, of, of a, a, an eloquent speaker, a powerful speaker. And so large numbers of people are coming, but no one's being discipled. No one's growing. It's all just about attendance number. We need to break the next barrier. We need to get over the 500 barrier. And now we got to hit the 1,000 mark and the 1,500 mark. How do we get past this barrier? That's what people are thinking. And they're getting more and more people, but everyone's stagnant in their faith. They're immature. They're not growing. Paul said that, pe that, that pastors, that preachers and Teachers, shepherds were given to the church by Christ to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. 
Do you see the purpose of pastors and the purpose of the church isn't just to see how big of a congregation we can get. That, that kind of numeric growth is a blessing that God gives. It's, it's not something that we would despise or look down on, but, but it isn't finally the end. Part, part of what we're looking for and the biggest part of what we're looking for is that the people of God would be growing, that they would be maturing, that, that next year they would be more mature than this year in Christ and the following year they would be even more mature than the year before. It's, it's a continual process of growth and that's what churches ought to be evaluated on and what ministry ought to be evaluated on. Not how many people are here, but are they growing into the full stature of Christ, into mature manhood in Christ. Listen, there, there are many churches, and again, some of them are, are not false churches. They're not false teachers. They're just not giving due diligence to the, to the faithful teaching and discipling of God's people. And as a result, much of the work is going to be burned up. You know, one of the passages I, I look to is 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, I'll just go ahead and read this. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. He's talking about the work of ministry. I laid the foundation. Other people are coming and building on that foundation. That's a good thing. Talking about the work of ministry. But he warns them, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. But now if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done Uh, built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only as through fire you see what Paul is saying there he's saying people can come along in in ministry and they can build on this foundation uh, of Christ but they can do two kinds of building They, they can do with with faithful good materials like like uh gold and silver and precious stones or they can come along and do shoddy work with wood hay and straw and the day of judgment is going to come and and what kind of work what kind of ministry has been done is going to be revealed on on the day of of judgment when fire falls on that And, and if it's shoddy work if it's wood hay and straw it's going to be burned up that person that person doing the ministry says will be saved but by fire but the work that they've done if it isn't the right kind of work, it's going to be burned up. Well, let's jump in here to these responses to biblical leadership. That's what biblical leadership is. But the first thing, that the first response is this, that we are to imitate our leaders, imitate our leaders. We look at this in verse number 7. There are actually three things that are stated. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life. And number three, imitate their faith. Well, there's some question here whether uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about maybe some leaders who have passed away already uh, because he says to remember. That, that could be the case. 
But later in verse 17 and verse 24, he mentions leaders again. And clearly, these leaders are leaders who are continuing to, that, that are alive because they are to obey them and they're to pray for them. Uh, so, so I think the, the issue is not whether they're alive or whether they've moved on and, and passed on. The, the point is this. Leaders are to serve something as something of a pattern for other Christians to follow. Leaders are to serve as something of a pattern for other Christians to follow. First of all, he says to remember them. He's, he's calling on the people not to be for, forgetful, to purposely recall the lives of their leaders. And Schreiner says, Tom Schreiner says, remembering them doesn't mean just recalling their words, for their instruction has been matched by their lives. You see, here he's tying these two things together. It isn't just what they say, but their lives that you are to remember. He ties together the man and his message. They're to recall the leader's lives, and they're to be reminded of the words that were spoken to them. And, and here's an important principle. The two should never be disconnected. The two should never be disconnected. If I remember the leader and not the word, that's a, a personality cult. Like I'm just attracted to that person. But if I remember the word, but not the leader, that's really a deficient form of discipleship. And we're going to talk about that more in, in a minute. But he says to remember them. Secondly, he says to consider. So, so this is more than just taking a quick jog down memory lane. This word uh, to consider, it means to continue to think back on, to, to keep reflecting uh, upon them. And so that's what he's saying here. Keep thinking back on the results, the fruit of the lives of these leaders. This means that leaders should provide something of a pattern that can be followed. You ever tried to follow a pattern, maybe drawing something or maybe even, you know, sometimes if I'm typing something out and looking over here and I'm trying to copy it down, you just keep looking back, right? You keep looking back and, and then you're back here trying to follow that pattern or find, trying to get everything right. And, and that's in a sense what he's saying here. Leaders are this pattern. Their, their lives ought to be a pattern. And, and so you're to remember them and to keep looking back, keep reflecting back on their lives, how they lived out the message that they preach. And then you're supposed to follow that pattern. Remember your leaders, consider them. And what are you to consider? He says, consider the outcome of their way of life, their, their lifestyle. And, and the outcome, again, that could refer to the fact that they've already died and, and, and their life has kind of been summed up, but not necessarily. Again, Tom Schreiner says the word outcome could refer to the end of life or more generally to the consequence or result of their lives. In other words, all of our lives bear fruit, don't they? There, there are fruits that come about because of our lifestyle and the way that we live. And so whether, whether these leaders have passed on or, or whether they're continuing to live, you ought to examine them. You ought to constantly be looking to them and seeing the fruit in their lives. Isn't that what Jesus said, that the way that we're supposed to evaluate teachers? In Matthew chapter 7, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Their life will not match. It will not match the teaching of the gospel. So the principle is this. Faithful preaching must be matched by faithful living. 
which serves as an example for the people of God to reflect upon for the purpose of instructing them as they live out their own faith. And that's the final word that he says here, to imitate. You're to remember, you're to consider, and then you are to imitate their faith. Notice he says, imitate their faith. You see, the the Christian life, the the, the Christian uh, message is is not just a a message to be believed, uh, but but it's something that works into our lives and it it begins to reshape the orientation of our lives. It it produces a change in behavior. And, And so a man of God, quote unquote, a man of God who stands up and boldly proclaims truth but, but his life is not changed, that's problematic. So, so he's saying, look to what they say. Remember what they've preached to you. Remember their words, but then look and consider their lifestyle and, and you imitate it. You live it out, the same thing. This means then that the preacher is not simply, cannot simply be one who compellingly delivers truth in a sermon, but someone whose lifestyle is compelling. And just think about it. Isn't this the way that Jesus instituted the church? Wasn't this the pattern that he gave us when he called disciples and he said, come and follow me? Come and live with me. Day day in and day out, you're going to be with me and you're going to learn this theological truth, but you're also going to learn the way that I live. You're going to learn how to live it out in, in practical, everyday scenarios and situations. That's the way that Jesus modeled for us. He didn't say, hey, Peter and John, I'll meet you at... Uh, three o'clock on the Sabbath day in the temple, and I'll give you a three-hour lecture about everything that you need to know. We'll do that a couple times a week, maybe, uh, and that'll be the program, and you'll get your degree, and you'll have all of the knowledge that you need to know. He said, instead, come and follow me. This is a life that you're going to learn. And when we look to the apostles, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. In 1 Peter 5, Two through three, uh, Peter is writing to pastors in the church in that passage, and he says, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You are to be examples to the flock. They are to look to your life and see how they ought to live." Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he urged the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Christ is the ultimate pattern that we follow, right? He's the ultimate one that that we follow. But in a lesser way, God has appointed spiritual leaders in the church who should be models of what it means to follow Christ in, in this context. And so as they're following Christ, you are to follow them. And Paul, again, uh, encourages Timothy because Timothy had done that. He had followed Paul's life. He says in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, you, however, have followed my teaching, period. No, no. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Timothy, you are an example of what a disciple ought to be. You followed my teaching and you followed my conduct. You followed my lifestyle. I gave you a pattern to follow and you have 
done it. And here, the writer of Hebrews is letting us know that that pattern didn't just end with Jesus and his apostles and and the early church, but it's something that continues for us today. You are to follow, to imitate the leaders in the church. A few applications of this point. First of all, if a church is unable to look to their pastor for a pattern of of mature godly living there's a problem and man i think that's a a common problem churches ought to be able to look to the leadership in that church as a pattern of mature godly living this is why jared's been doing such a great job in leading us through this series in, in first timothy on on the qualifications for a pastor this is why a pastor has to be above reproach. That's what Paul says. If an, uh, anyone desires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. This doesn't mean that pastors are perfect or sinless, and Jared's brought that out, uh, or that they're without faults. It, it means that their life is free of ongoing, unrepentant sin that would serve to undermine the work that they do. They ought to be examples. They ought to be living in such a way that their lives could be held up to say, this is a pattern to follow. Secondly, a a ministry model that doesn't grant church members access to the lives of pastors is deficient. And I mentioned, and I don't want to be overly critical because I don't think, you know, I think there are ways that this can be overcome. Uh, uh, So I'm not just against mega churches, but I think there's a pattern that happens oftentimes in larger churches where, where pastors are just aloof from the congregation. They're disconnected. This passage would not allow that. This passage would say, you should be able to know what's going on in your pastor's life. He ought to be living in front of the congregation in such a way that they can see the example and begin to follow it. And so if we have any kind of ministry model that just accumulates masses of people uh, that isn't discipling and that doesn't give a pattern for people to follow in their leadership, that's problematic. And then thirdly, another application point, you ought to be following the pattern of godly living. I often feel as though pastors are sort of looked at as different from normal Christians, right? Of course you do that. You're a pastor, right? I always get this, like, when, when I'm around people and they find out I'm a pastor, oh, I'm sorry, I'll watch my language. Like, okay, you, you should watch your language because you're standing before a holy God, not, not because of me, right? Uh, you're going to give an account for every idle word. Uh, but, but certainly I think that that, can, that kind of thought or that kind of mindset can even sort of permeate into the life of the church. Well, of course he does that. He's a pastor. Of course his, he's praying on a regular basis. Of course he's in the word or, or, or of course he comes to, to prayer meeting, these kind of things. Well, he, he's the pastor, right? No, th- this ought to be a pattern for everyone to follow. Pastors are not fundamentally different as Christians. They, they just ought to be Christians that, that, that are living as examples for others to follow. And so the command here is, is for you to imitate that. Not, not look and say, what a great guy. Uh, you know, we should all maybe be like that a little. No, no. You work to begin to follow that pattern. If you feel a great distance between where you are and what you see modeled, then you need to work uh, to be more faithful to follow that pattern. Well, secondly, we are to obey 
our leaders, imitate our leaders, and obey our leaders. And you can see why now. I, I didn't get through four or five points. We're just getting it two. Uh, so imitate your leaders. Secondly, obey your leaders. And that's in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This word obey is kind of an interesting word. Uh, it's not one of the stronger words for obey in, in the New Testament. In fact, it's often translated, it's not translated as obey in the New Testament. There are, are stronger words uh, that, that really drive home the idea of submission or, or obedience. Uh, for instance, when, when Paul commands children to obey their parents, that's a, a stronger word. Or in other places where he calls for people to submit to governing authorities, that's a pretty strong word. That word obey, like Paul uses obey uh, your parents, is used by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 8. When it talks about Abraham, it says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he, called, when he was called to go out. Uh, and so that, that's a stronger word. But, but this word is a word that really has more of an idea of being persuaded or being convinced or allowing yourself to trust someone. In, in an active sense, uh, if it's used as an active verb, it means the act of persuading others, uh, inducing by, one by words to believe or cause belief in a thing. But when it's passive, as it's used here, uh, it means to be persuaded, to be confident, to, to allow oneself to be persuaded, to yield to persuasion. And so that's what he's that's what he's talking about here when he says, obey your leaders. Here is not just that, you know, just obey them like children obey parents. Here is this idea, allow yourself to be persuaded, allow yourself to trust, to, to believe. And so we would ask the question then, on what basis should we be persuaded? What basis should you be persuaded to follow leaders? Well, let me give you a couple of bad reasons reasons you should not allow yourself to be persuaded or you should not obey leaders. You shouldn't do it merely out of reverence for the position. Sometimes blind submission comes because people have a reverence for the office of pastor or the role of a spiritual leader within the church. And, and some level of respect is, is a good thing. In fact, that's called for in other places in Scripture to, to respect those who are over you in the Lord. Uh, but, but that can quickly become sort of a, a, a negative thing. Sometimes we, we are led to just simply submit because blindly because this person's in, in leadership. And that comes in a couple different forms. Sometimes this submission comes from a sense that, man, it seems like God is speaking through this person or, or this is God's person to lead us. And so we just do what they say no matter what. Sometimes pastors claim some sort of secret leading of, of God. You know, I've got a word from the Lord, or the Lord has given me a vision for this, or, or God has really just placed a burden on my heart. So, so if you are obeying your leaders, this leader's got a burden on his heart, and you need to follow him. That, that's the way it happens so, so often. But I'm reminded when I hear those kind of things of, of what the prophets said in the Old Testament about false prophets in fact, sometimes the, the false prophets in the Old Testament would say that. A burden of the Lord, the burden of the Lord, even though they were false prophets. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel twenty two twenty eight, 28, 
and her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord, when God, uh, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. And Jeremiah is the one who mentions about the burden of the Lord. They, they go around saying, the burden of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. But he says, but the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word. This burden that you have from me, supposedly, really isn't from me. It's your own, it's your own burden. It's what you want. And you pervert the words of the living God. So you, we just need to be careful of that. We should not be persuaded by leaders simply because they have a vision or a dream or a burden as if it's from the Lord. Sometimes this unhealthy reverence for pastoral leadership is even taught. And, and I've been around situations like that. You know, the Old Testament talks about, there's the verse that says, touch not the Lord's anointed. And so there's this whole imagery of the man of God and how dare you challenge the man of God. If he says this is what we need to do, we need to listen to him because he's God's man. And sometimes they will bring up Korah's rebellion. Remember when Korah uh, rose up against Moses and Moses was the man of God and God struck Korah down. Well, listen, it's true that if you sinfully oppose those who are faithfully leading God's people, that may bring God's judgment into your life, but you should never fear questioning those leaders who seem to be acting sinfully or, or if their leadership is not firmly rooted in the scripture. We don't just blindly say, well, it's the man of God. Let's just do whatever he says. No, no, no. We need to be sure that it's rooted in the word of God. There's another reason that people often follow blindly leadership and that is because of gifting. This guy is just so gifted. He's that organizational guru or that church growth expert or what a skilled, passionate preacher. But gifting should not allow us or should not drive us to, to give just blind allegiance. I can just tell you, dear friend, this morning that blind submission to leaders has wreaked great damage in the church of God. It has wreaked great damage in the church of God. So much abuse has people have endured. So many unqualified pastors have been allowed to decimate the church. False teachers have been permitted to make shipwreck of the faith of God's people. Immature men have been allowed to act sinfully in a way that really has hurt the people of God. And all because the church willingly, just blindly followed a leader. We need to not follow because of those reasons. We should not be persuaded because of gifting or just purely out of reverence for a position. Let me give you three good reasons that you ought to be persuaded by leaders from this text. First, again, it comes back to the fact that they speak the word of God. You see, a true man of God leads by the authority of God's word and relies upon the conviction and guidance of the spirit to do the convincing. He, he doesn't convince you out of just, you need to respect me. You need to respect this position. He opens up the word of God and he says, this is what God says. And because this is what God says, you need to obey what God says. I'm only the mouthpiece. I'm only the, the instrument bringing to you what the word of God says. And so, we should only submit, then, if this is something that is coming from the Word of God. So it doesn't mean, then, when I'm cautioning you against sort of uh, 
listening to, to leaders in some respect. That doesn't mean that we can just sit back and unilaterally determine, you know, do I like this or not? Am I going to submit or not? If, if it's in the word of God, if the man is faithfully preaching the word of God and laying it out before you, then you have an obligation, as this text says, to obey your leaders. When the man of God preaches and it's clear that his words and exhortations are faithfully grounded in the authority of Scripture, then you have an obligation before God to be persuaded in such a way that you respond in obedience. Here's a second good reason that you ought to submit to leaders, that you ought to obey them, because they are watching for your soul. Go back to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and this word means to watch out to look carefully after literally it, it means to stay awake to, to lose sleep to be on the alert in other words there's a danger the, the, the idea the picture uh, of would be like in a, a battlefront and someone's got to stay awake and stay alert because the enemy could attack at any time and we need a watch set so so that we're not taken by surprise and that's what he's saying here the role of pastors is and, and the role of spiritual leaders is in the church they are those who are staying alert and who are watching out and they're not just doing that of course Jesus tells all of us in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, to stay awake, stay alert, watch out for yourselves. But here it says pastors take on the added responsibility of not only watching out for their own souls, but for the souls of God's people. They are those who are keeping watch over your souls. So why should you be persuaded to, to listen to, to obey your leaders, well, if they are faithful leaders, and again, I want to just qualify that, if they are faithful leaders, then their true motivation in exhorting you to some action is uh, that, that they are in the counsel that they give, it's ultimately for your good. They're watching over you. They're, they're protecting you. And so you ought to then submit to them because they're watching out for your souls. A, a true spiritual leader is not using you to build his own empire. You're not a means to an end. He doesn't simply care about you as a number or a statistic he can report to his denomination. He doesn't view you as a potential story he can tell to boost his credibility as a leadership guru. I'm using that word a lot today. Uh, or, or a counseling expert. He isn't on a power trip. He doesn't get a thrill just out of having control and being able to tell people what to do. A true spiritual leader is watching out for your soul. And, and I know my heart, that's my desire as I preach the word of God and exhort you to obedience. I know that's Jared's desire as well. And so if you were wise, you would listen to the counsel of what the writer of Hebrews says and you would imitate leaders, but you would also obey. You would be persuaded by their words of admonition the word the fact that he is keeping watch implies doesn't it, that there is a danger and that is so true there are spiritual dangers sin is deceitful and it's destructive and I can't tell you how many times I've I've counseled with people and I've talked with people where you just see their lives and you see the trajectory and you say, that's not a good way to go. That's not a good path to go down. And they continue to go down that path and it leads to destruction. You would be wise to listen to the admonition that comes from the authority 
of Scripture because they're watching out for your souls. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord. There's that leadership and those who admonish you and to esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work, their work of leading you, their work of admonishing you. Thirdly, you should be persuaded to obedience because pastors and leaders will give an account to God for you. Again, we see this in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give who will have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. This passage historically I think has been understood by most people uh, to mean that pastors will give an account about themselves regarding how they have led you. And that's obviously a true principle. James says not many of you should become teachers because teachers are going to be judged with greater strictness. Uh, The whole concept of being a steward, uh, being a leader in the church is a stewardship and it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. We are certainly, leaders are certainly going to give an account for how they have handled this stewardship that has been entrusted to them. Yet I think in this context, the emphasis is really placed upon those under the leaders and not on the leaders themselves. This is what I mean. The account that is to be given in this passage is not so much an account for how pastors have acted. That's true. But but it's an account of those who were to submit to the leaders. It's an accounting of those who have been under the watch care of these spiritual leaders. Submit to these leaders, obey them, because they're keeping watch for your souls, and they're going to give an account to God on your behalf in in a sense. And I think that's the meaning of of what he's getting at here. It's kind of like, if you use an illustration, uh, if someone's babysitting your your children, right? Uh, And the parents are away, and the babysitter's there, and the children begin to misbehave. And, and of course, the parents, before they left, they said, listen, when, when I return, uh, this babysitter, she's going to tell me everything that you've been doing, and she's going to give a full report to me, a full accounting. Of course, the babysitter herself is accountable to the parents for how she, but, but usually the way that, that works is that the children maybe have been misbehaving, and, and the babysitter's going to report back, yeah, they did this, and they did this, they refused to go to bed, and so forth. Well, I think that's kind of the the idea here. You need to submit to leaders and and to be persuaded by the word of God as they exhort you from the authority of scripture. And you ought to do that because they are going to give an account to God for you. God's going to return and he's going to say, how were the children? How did they behave? I think this meaning helps give clarity to the next phrase when he says let them do this with joy and not with groaning that would be of no advantage to you the reason that they they want to do it with joy is they want to come back and be able to give the report God did wonderful works through in their life they 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 grew they were faithful that they served in the church they they were a blessing to God's people they were a vital part of the work of God uh, here on on this earth 
They, they don't want to have to come back and, and report. It would be a grief to them if they were to have to report back that this person was disobedient, that they were unwilling to submit to biblical teaching and counsel, and that they, they drifted away from the Lord despite repeated efforts to go after them and to pursue them. And, and in fact, uh, even in those efforts, they, they refused to even respond, right, because they didn't want any kind of accountability. That would be not to your advantage, and it would be with groaning on the part of those who are in leadership. It would be of no advantage to you. So we started this morning by just talking about what leadership is in the church. I hope we have something of a clearer view of this. A leader is one who's watching over your souls, who is seeking to use the word of God and speaking the word of God with an authority that comes not from the man himself, but from the word of God. And he's doing it all to the end of your salvation. That, that on that great judgment day, uh, you'll be able to stand before God having persevered in the faith. That's what biblical leadership is. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we are grateful, Lord, for your grace at work in our lives. We're so grateful, Lord, that you use sinful people like me, uh, Lord, and, and that you even give us sometimes great stewardships uh, of not only watching over our own souls, but, but watching over and caring for the souls of other, others. I, I just pray for myself, and I pray for Jared, and I pray for Donnie, and, and Jeffrey as they're uh, moving into the role of pastor in this church. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us just a, a sense of the heaviness of that obligation. Lord, we know that we are going to give an account. And God, I pray that you would help us live lives that, that are patterns that can be followed. Not, not perfect people, but, but faithful. Help us to stand. And Lord, I pray for your people that they would respond, as this text has called them, to imitate the leadership of this church and to submit, as the leadership points out, from the word of God. Uh, how they are to act. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.